In our series now, through the Bible, book by book, we've come to the great prophecy of Jeremiah. And uh, I assigned you a, an assignment two weeks ago to read this book through in the intervening two weeks. How many succeeded in that? Would you indicate? How many have read it through in the last two weeks? Well, that's much better. That's much better. I realize this was uh, 52 chapters long, and that's a sizable portion. But... Um, it's very important that we keep reading the scriptures. There's no other way by which we can expose ourselves to these great change, life-changing truths than by reading them through. Coming to this book of Jeremiah now, I wonder what you would think and what the whole Christian world would think if uh, some present-day preacher... He uh, stood in his pulpit and persistently and consistently declared that God was on the side of the communists rather than America, that he was against America, and that he was raising up the communists, and that they were his people and his servant, and that God cared nothing for the Declaration of Independence and for the American Constitution and for the long heritage of religious worship that this American nation has had. In fact, the emphasis that we put upon these things were an offense unto God. And furthermore, this preacher would advocate that Christians renounce their loyalty to their country and join the Communist Party. And though he would be subject to house arrest and to uh, be flung into prison, to be slapped in the face in public, and uh, his writings burned, and he was would, would be personally half-drowned in a pit of slime, yet he refused stubbornly to take back one word of what he had said, but only repeated it again. Well, then you would understand and have something of the, of the situation that's that's given to us in the book of Jeremiah. Well, that's exactly what Jeremiah was called to do. Now, imagine yourself to be that preacher. Supposing you are that man, and we're doing these things in this day in which we live. Imagine how you would feel when no one would listen to you, and persecution would uh, hound your steps every place you went. You would be unable to seek comfort in marriage because the days were too difficult and God had said to remain unmarried. You would feel abandoned, alone, all your friends turned from you. And if you tried to quit, refused to be this kind of a preacher, you would find that you couldn't quit, that the word of God burned in your bones and you had to say it whether you wanted to or not. And despite the strange message that you were called upon to deliver, your love for your country was real and genuine and deep. And as you saw it surrounded by its enemies and ravished and conquered and despoiled, you would be overcome by a deep and piteous sorrow that would break out in grievous lamentations. Well, then you could understand why it is that Jeremiah 
is of all the prophets the most heroic, unquestionably. Isaiah has more exalted passages in it. Isaiah perhaps saw a little more precisely the coming of the Messiah and the uh, fullness of his work. And others of the prophets speak more precisely concerning some of the future events that were to be fulfilled. But uh, Jeremiah is outstanding among the prophets as a man of heroic courage, dauntless courage, who went back and for 40 years endured this kind of, uh, of persecution and problems in his life without quitting. That's an amazing record, isn't it? And as you read through this book, you can see that here indeed is an amazing man. Jeremiah lived in the last days of of a decaying nation. He was the last prophet to Judah. Judah was the southern kingdom and existed, you remember, continued on after the ten tribes of the north had been carried into captivity under Assyria. Isaiah prophesied about 60 years before Jeremiah. And Jeremiah comes in right at the close of the reign of the last good king of Judah, the boy king Josiah, who was one of the, uh, one of the godly kings of the southern kingdom and who led in the last revival that the nation experienced before it went into captivity. But the revival under King Josiah was a rather surface matter, superficial. In fact, the prophet uh, Huldah had told Josiah the king that the though the people would follow him in his attempt to reform the nation and return to God, it would only be a, a surface thing, and that they would only do so because they loved him and not because they loved God. And Jeremiah comes in right in the middle of the reign of King Josiah, and his ministry carries us on through the reign of the King Jehoahaz, who was only on the throne about three months. And then King Jehoiakim, one of the most evil kings of, of Judah. And then the brief reign again of about three months of Jehoiakim, who was captured by Nebuchadnezzar and taken into captivity in Babylon. And then finally, the last king of Judah, Zedekiah. And at the end of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar returned and utterly destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and the whole of the nation was then subjected to Babylonian captivity. Now, the reign of Jeremiah covered about 40 years, or rather the ministry of Jeremiah covered about 40 years. And during all this time, the prophet never once saw any signs of success in his ministry. His message was one of denunciation and of reform, but the people never obeyed it. Isaiah saw a measure of return. The other prophets saw something of of the impact of their message upon the nation, but not Jeremiah. He was called to a ministry of failure. And yet in the midst of it, he was enabled to keep on for 40 long years and be faithful to God and accomplish the purpose of God to to set a word of witness in the midst of a decayed nation. Now, there are two things in this great book of of Jeremiah that weave their way, two themes that weave their way through this whole prophecy. One concerns the fate of the nation, and the other the feelings of the prophet. 
And both of them are very instructive to us. Uh, the prophecies of Jeremiah that have to do with the fate of the nation reflect, of course, the familiar theme of all the prophets. Jeremiah reminds this people that uh, the, the beginning of error in their lives was that they failed to take God seriously. They, they looked lightly upon what he said. They didn't give much attention to what he had told them. And failing to take him seriously, they did what was right in their own eyes, rather than uh, carefully observing and checking what they were doing according to the word and revelation of God. They did what was right in their own eyes. They had gone so far, as we read in the historical books, under the reign of Josiah, in the early days of his reign, that they had actually lost the copy of the law. And as far as we can tell, no one in the land of Judah had any longer access to the word of God. And the copy which was in the temple, which ought to have been in the central place, was so uh, was lost somewhere in the back room, and nobody had been able to locate it. And it was accidentally discovered. And it was that that led the revival that Josiah used to lead the revival in his days. This is how far the nation had gone. It actually lost contact with the Word of God. And having, and thus, they were subjected to the dangerous principle of doing what was right in their own eyes. What they thought was right. Not doing what was wrong. <laughs> there are some people who do what they know is wrong in God's sight. That's bad enough. Mr. Noble's been telling us about some of them and the results in their life. But it's equally dangerous to simply do what is right in your own eyes. For we have no ability then to judge properly. And this was what was happening in Israel. The result was they adapted the values of the worldlings around about them. And they ended up worshiping the gods of the nations. And this brought on, as it always does, a torrent of bickering and strife and lowered morals and perverted justice. And they were making military alliances with godless nations around about them. And the country was gradually sinking deeper and deeper and lower and lower on a moral scale. And it was to this people that Jeremiah came. And the message that he was told to proclaim was, a, was judgment. And the national rebellion would lead to national ruin. And uh, throughout this whole book, you find these prophecies clearly uh, uh, Delineated as he told what would happen, exactly how God was raising up a terrible people, a godless people, a fierce and cruel people who would come sweeping across the land and uh, destroy everything in their path, who would be utterly ruthless, who would simply break down the walls and destroy the temple and take all the things that the nation values, valued and uh, carried away into captivity. And God would uh, judge this land. But also the prophet makes very clear throughout these passages of judgment that God judges with a, with a, a, a sorrowing heart, a weeping heart. And the prophet goes on to look beyond the, the 70 years captivity which he predicted, and uh, by the way, which was the guide for the prophet Daniel to know when the captivity would end. 
Uh, later on, Daniel, reading this very book of Jeremiah, realized that God had predicted the captivity would last exactly 70 years, and that's why Daniel knew that it was coming close to the end of the time, and he could uh, look forward to seeing the nation restored again to the land. But Jeremiah also looks beyond that to the restoration of the people, and then in that peculiar way that the prophets have of suddenly elevating their view from the immediate scene to the far distant scene, he looks beyond to the ultimate dispersion of the peoples of Israel and the calling back again at last in a final regathering of the nation into the land under the, uh, under the blessing and call of God to the days which will uh, usher in the millennial reign when Israel shall be the center of the world and the nation shall be restored again as the central place of earth. And in the midst of this book, in chapters 30 to 33, you have an amazing, beautiful prediction, which was written when Jeremiah was in a dungeon, a deep slime pit, with the mud two or three feet thick on the bottom of the pit, and only a little bit of daylight streaming through from the top. And in the midst of those depressing, utterly deplorable circumstances, the prophet is led of the Spirit of God to write the most flaming vision in the Old Testament. Beautiful vision of the days when Israel shall be called back again. And God promises to, to be their God and to walk among them and to put away their sins. And there in the midst of that chapter, in chapter 31, is the great promise of a new covenant which will be made with Israel. You remember, these words are picked up by the writer of the letter to the Hebrews and quoted there. And reference is also made to this in our Lord's gathering with his disciples on the night before the cross when he instituted the Lord's Supper. And as he took the cup after the bread and held it up to them, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And he's referring back to the days, to the prophecy of Jeremiah in chapter 31, where he speaks of the covenant that God would make with his people in that far-off day yet to come. Now, the fulfillment of that covenant is still, in its ultimate sense, in the distant future. God is fulfilling it today among the Gentiles, in the church, which is made up of both Jew and Gentile. But the ultimate fulfillment of it to the nation Israel remains in the yet distant future, as Jeremiah predicted it would be. When in these beautiful words, let me turn to it, uh, Jeremiah 31, the Lord, uh, the, uh, the Lord said to, uh, through Jeremiah, verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each man teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more.
What a wonderful picture that is. This is the fulfilling of that vision that was given to the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 18 when God told him to go down to the potter's house. That's a strange place for a prophet to go. But God sent him down to the prophet's house. And as Jeremiah watched the potter at work, he saw him making a vessel on his wheel. And as the wheel turned, the potter was shaping the vessel. And while Jeremiah watched, the vessel in the potter's hand was marred, was broken. And uh, while the prophet watched, the potter took the vessel, the marred, broken vessel, and pushed it all down into a lump of clay again, and made it again the second time into a vessel after the potter's heart. You know, all through this book, you get a lot of visual aids. You get what we call object lessons. The prophets are good at that. And Jeremiah does that. And this is God's great object lesson of what he does with a broken life. He takes it over and makes it over again. Not after the, not after the, the failures and the foolish dreams of an individual, but after the potter's heart. For the potter has power over the clay to make it as he wishes. And this is the great picture of Jeremiah all the way through. It's a prophecy of of ruin, of desolation, of destruction and judgment, but beyond that is the flaming of hope and the glory of the light to come and of the days when God makes the vessel over again. And this has application, of course, as you can see, to to nations and to individuals as well. Now, the second theme that runs all through this letter, as you've undoubtedly discovered, are, are the feelings of the prophet. And there's a great lesson to us in these uh, honest expressions of Jeremiah's own reactions to the situations in which he lived. And you'll find that he constantly fought a battle with discouragement. Who wouldn't with a ministry like his? Whether he saw no signs of success at all. And the grim specter of discouragement and depression and defeat dogged his footsteps through all those 40 years. And Jeremiah had to fight it. And listen to his words when he's alone with God. One of the amazing things about this prophet is that when he was in public, he was as fearless as a lion. He spoke to kings and to these murderers and to captains who were hot, breathing hot against him, utterly fearless. He he looked them right in the eye and delivered the message of God that spoke of their own destruction. But when he's by himself and he's all alone, his heart is filled with, with discouragement and depression of spirit and resentment and bitterness, and it all comes flooding out. If you'll turn to the 15th chapter of Jeremiah, you'll see an amazing passage here reflecting this. In verse chapter 15, verse 18, the prophet says to God, Why is my pain unceasing and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? That is, here's something that just keeps after me all the time, never stops, never gets better, unceasing. Refusing to be healed. And then he says to God, Wilt thou be to me like a deceitful brook? Or another translation says, Wilt thou be to me like a liar? Like waters that fail? 
and he's accusing God of being a liar and undependable. Strong words? Undoubtedly. Honest words? Absolutely. He's pouring out exactly how he feels. He, he has begun to wonder if the trouble isn't with God after all. That he can't be depended upon. And as you look back through this brief account here, you'll see that what was bothering the prophet was, first of all, persecution. In verse 15, he says, O Lord, thou knowest, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. Here's a man who was being hounded everywhere he went. And not only were they persecuting him, but there was also mocking and scorn that followed him, contempt. Look at verse 16. Thy words, or, or verse uh, uh, 15, uh, the latter part. In thy forbearance, take me not away. Know that for thy sake I bear reproach, mocking, contempt, and scorn. And then the third element of his problem was loneliness. Verse 17. I did not sit in the company of merrymakers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone. Because thy hand was upon me, for thou hadst filled me with indignation. And doesn't, isn't that usually the ingredients of discouragement to us? We feel put upon. We feel persecuted. We feel we've tried to do the right thing and everybody else just disregards it. Or they come back at us and make trouble for us. Or they mock us, think lightly of us, scorn us. And we're in the grip of loneliness and depression of spirit. We feel all forsake us. Oh, you say, well, I know the trouble with this man. Obviously, he's backslidden, disobedient. That's the quick and easy way that most of us usually uh, brand uh, somebody that's under, uh, that's suffering along this line. Oh, you're just backslidden. That's the problem. No, that wasn't. Look at this. Notice... Here's a man who was praying. O Lord, thou knowest, remember me and visit me. And he was feeding on the word. Verse 16, I did, uh, thy words were found and I ate them. And thy words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. <laughs> he's reading his Bible, feeding on the word. And he's witnessing. Verse 15 again. Know that for thy sake I bear reproach. He's been talking to them about the Lord. And he's separated. Verse 17 again. I did not sit in the company of merrymakers, nor did I rejoice. Well, this isn't backslidden man, is it? We say this is what you need to do. You get discouraged and depressed. Oh, what you need to do is to pray and read your Bible and go out witnessing and keep away from, from evil. Isn't that the answer? Isn't that the formula? But here's a man who's doing all those things and he's still defeated, still discouraged. Well, what's the problem? Well, he'd forgotten his call. He'd forgotten what God had promised to be to him. And God calls him back to it. Look at verse 19. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you will, if you return, I will restore you. That's always the answer of Scripture to a heart that has grown discouraged. Come back, God says. Return. 
go back to the beginnings, to the original things. And uh, he says, if you will return, I will restore you and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. That's what God had said to him at the beginning. If you notice this man's call, way back in chapter 1, verse 4, The word of the Lord came to me, the prophet says, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. Probably about 17 years of age when this call came to him. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Be not afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And when down in the depths of the blues and depressions and discouragement, the prophet was called back to the promise of God and was reminded of the greatness of God and the fact that God is greater than circumstances. That no matter how depressing they may be, how negative they may be, the God who called him was the God who was able to sustain him in the midst of it. And when he got his eyes off himself and back onto God, like Peter walking on the water, you know, he began to walk again. And in the strength of this lesson, he went for the rest of his ministry through all the discouraging circumstances even to being carried at last as a prisoner and a captive down to Egypt where he died. We don't have the record of his death, but Jeremiah was faithful unto the end as he learned to go in the strength of the Lord his God and uh, to give us this mighty flaming prophecy of the grace of God in restoring lives and taking broken, battered, wounded, uh, defeated spirits making them over again into a vessel that will please him. We bow together in prayer. Our Father, thank you for the encouragement of this great prophet. As we see the decay in our own nation, we see the defeat of so many endeavors for thy name's sake. And we see the uh, scorn and contempt in so many places for thy word and for the things concerning thee. We pray that thou will help us to realize and remember that thou art the God who opens and no man shuts, who shuts and no man opens, who does thy will among the nations, who sets up, who builds and plants and overthrows, and who accomplishes all thy purpose. May we get our eyes off ourselves and our circumstances. And on to thee, and to thy great purposes, 
and be strong in the Lord and in the power of thy might. For we ask it in thy name. Amen.